Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they've learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. What a guest I have for you this week. I'm joined by Molly Rooney, who has gone from entering HR to HR business partner in only three years. Talk about a high flyer. This is an absolutely fascinating conversation for anyone who is at the early stages of their career and has aspirations of progression. We really get under the skin of how Molly has been able to progress so quickly, how she operates as a HR professional and what she does that makes her stand out from the crowd. As a result, there are loads of valuable insights and recommendations. It was such an enjoyable conversation, and I know you'll all love listening. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me on Is This Room Free once again. So I have a very, very special guest for everybody this week, and I'm sure there'll be an abundance of listeners wanting to get lots of uh, information insights from uh, from my guests because I don't think I've met anybody who has had such an accelerated career. Um, but enough waffling from me, I'll pass over to you. Molly, would you like to do a, a quick introduction for the listeners of obviously who you are and, and kind of what your role is right now? Yes, thank you, Martin. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Molly Rooney. I am a regional people partner, um, but some of you listeners may uh, know that role better as HR business partner. Um, we rebranded here at the company I'm currently working for to the people team rather than the HR team about 12 months ago now. Um, I work in the construction sector for a house builder called Countryside Properties, um, and I am based across the Northwest, Yorkshire and Leicester. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of working in my head then how I was going to kind of go into that. So, yeah, I'm going to set the scene for everybody. So we obviously kind of engaged um, a couple of months ago, really. Um, I started to learn a bit about your background, um, really from your from your boss. Um, she kind of shared your profile with me. And I was like, oh, I need to get I need to get her on. I've heard so many good things. And then we had a chat and yeah, I mean, we were just talking then. So essentially, you have gone from entering HR in October 2016 to being a HR business partner three years and one month later, which is phenomenal. Um, so really keen to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of all this of how you've done it. Um, but one thing I was kind of curious because of just what you said then so you rebranded from HR to people. I'm just interested, what was the the kind of thought process behind that? Was it um, to, to become kind of more inclusive, more approachable? What was the thoughts behind kind of changing from HR to people? Because it is a it's kind of becoming a bit more um, 
a bit more common or um, I don't want to call it trendy, um, but it is becoming a bit more kind of commonplace to start using people. What was your guys kind of thinking behind that? Um, yeah, so I, I also didn't want to use the word trendy, but I think there's a, there's probably a bit. <laughs> um, I think there's a there's a there's a bit of moving with the times, and I think when you look at um, at HR human resources, um, I guess formerly personnel, um, and when I first started working in HR, there was this reference to personnel, so it seemed as if that you know hadn't kind of disappeared so soon, and then it was HR human resources and. I think you used the word inclusive, Martin, and I think that's what it was um, for us. You know, we wanted to be the people team. We're about people. We help people. We support people. We develop people. We coach people. You know, the list could go on and on, um, really. And I think, you know, calling ourselves the people team um, felt a lot more in line with who we are as a company, what our values are, what our journey is um, than the HR team. And Sometimes I, you know, I suppose people who listen to this um, podcast, that you know, I'm sure the majority do work in HR, probably know that HR as those two letters sometimes get a little bit of a bad rep, um, and it can be, oh well, HR did this or HR decided this or oh you'll be dragged in front of HR and all those really just awful untruths. And I think actually the people team, it just sounds fresh, it sounds vibrant. I think it sounds like a department that you would actually want to go to for all the really fantastic things that we're about and not a oh, I'll be going to HR, you know, with that kind of mentality that I, I do think is is phasing out. And yeah, it probably is a little bit trendy as well. I think when, you know, when you when you look now and you see, you know, other people on LinkedIn and different job titles, it seems that people, so, you know, people, people partner, people advisor seems to be more common, I think now from what I've seen than, than formerly HR. Yeah, I think sometimes you're in danger. If you call something trendy, it's suddenly then definitely not trendy because you find it trendy so we maybe won't use that phrase at all yeah there's i think there's sometimes a fine line um we are digressing but this is kind of the purpose of this podcast it's good to go down these little rabbit holes and, and have conversations about other elements as well i think there is a fine line between coming up with a kind of jazzy job title for the sake of it and looking at something that you feel is a better representation of um, what the role and the the functionality and purpose of that should be. Um, I mentioned to you kind of just before the podcast, so listeners might be interested. It's a big will reveal this actually. Um, so I've got my first employee joining me um, next week and I'm very conscious not to, I don't, hire people is not a traditional recruitment business. I'm trying to create something that I conceive as a recruitment business of the modern era. Um, and it's about doing recruitment in a very different way. And I've actually created a job title for him as a um, talent engagement partner because he's not going to be a salesy recruitment person or consultant. He's going to be somebody who supports people through their job search and process and goes out, finds talent for clients, but also supports people. And for me, I was trying to kind of come up with something that wasn't recruitment assistant or recruitment consultant or whatever it may be. And that, and that kind of felt right. And I think sometimes you don't want to come up with a job title, like you say, to, to be quirky or to be different. Like I remember years ago, I worked in a supermarket and my job title was um, ambient replenishment assistant. And I was essentially a shelf stacker. Um, and I was like, what, what's this job title all about? Like, I'm just putting tins on shelves. Um, <laughs> And and that was just, you know, that was a, a bit of a, a kind of farcical one. But I think sometimes if you can create something that you that resonates with people and there's a better alignment 
um, then it makes sense to do so, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100% agree with that. Anyway, so so back on track. We've uh, fallen off the track before we even began. So let's start back at the beginning with you then. So you actually did a, a law degree. Um, so, I mean, there's loads of questions now. How have you gone from doing a law degree to getting into HR? And it's not an uncommon route. There are, I think there's there's actually a very good alignment there because of the, um, certainly when you look at kind of casework and building a, a kind of a file and a case, um, I think there's a, a, a kind of strong transferability there. But how have you, like, how come you ended up doing a law degree? Because that's, usually you do that if you, you have a very kind of, um, specific almost kind of um sniper approach you're going right I'm gonna go and you know pursue a career in law um yeah and to be honest I think because that was me um so it used to be a little bit of a, a standing joke in our family that you know when you're younger and everyone says what do you want to be when you grow up and my brother was an astronaut and you know my cousin was a ballerina or you know th- those sort of examples I always used to say I wanted to be a lawyer really? and it was a it was a really kind of just a, a running joke that before I really knew much of, of what it was about, I always felt it's what I wanted to, to you know, to do when I grew up. Um, probably the old cliche, too much of the bill or, you know, those kind of um, dramatised uh, courtroom type programmes. But I was really convinced that it's what I uh, just what I wanted to do. Um, did a traditional route of GCSEs and, and A-levels and went to the University of Leeds. Um, to study law and um, yeah really enjoyed living in Leeds really enjoyed the university life Um, I just think law although it's a very interesting degree um, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of memorizing 60 plus cases for you know for one exam Um, I was probably about halfway into my second year and I just felt that it just wasn't for me Um, and that might sound you know a, a bit simple but I just kind of had this moment of thinking the law that I'd thought in my head and the kind of law that I thought I'd be doing and I used to flit around would I like to go into family law or you know would I like to go into commercial law um it just wasn't matching up I think the aspiration in my head and and what the practical application of of you know working in the legal world would be and I remember it really clearly this day I went to um the business school to the University of Leeds business school and I went in and and I just spoke to one of the advisors there and I just said I I don't think working in law is going to be for me I don't want to you know it never it never crossed my mind to not finish my degree or you know not not complete uni I said I'm, I'm happy to carry on with the degree but I'm worried that it'll get to the end of the three years and what you know what will I do I'll you know I'll not know what I want to go and, and actually you know do for, for a job I said is there anything I could pick up could I pick up some additional credits could I try some business school modules because in my head at that time I was thinking right, if I could do anything, you know, in, in the business remit, or I could just look at something different. If I do a couple of extra modules a week or a month, it, it might give me a taste of something I do want to do. And maybe maybe it's fair, who knows, but the only modules that were left that actually would fit in with my timetable from studying law were uh, HR modules. So it was a, an introduction to human resource management. And then I think the other one was human resource management in practice or, or something along those lines, these two modules. Didn't have a clue what HR was, never really thought about it. It's not something I'd ever really, you know, I'd, I'd ever really given any consideration to, but it just fit the timetable. And I thought, I've got nothing to lose, you know, why not? So took these extra credits. And I remember going to the business school and doing these modules and, you know, speaking to people in the class and going in the lectures and thinking, I can I can see this, you know, I, I can I can get a good feeling for it. And maybe maybe this is what I would want to do. 
Um, I'm a bit of a, uh, I don't even know what the word is. I can't sit on anything for very long. So I'd done a few modules and then I was researching, you know, career in HR, what do you have to do? Da, da, da. And I, I basically got to a point of saying, really, unless you unless you do your CIPD and get your qualifications, um, you'll hit a bit of a, you know, a, a bit of a glass ceiling eventually. Um, so I think it seems, and I'm not saying this is a one size fits all, but I, I get the impression that most people tend to get some practical HR experience and then look to do, you know, their CIPD qualifications perhaps a bit later on or once they're already in post. Um, where I thought I'm not going to wait for that. I'm going to apply and, and and start my master's in HR. So graduated from the University of Leeds um, in 2015, and then. As I graduated from there in the July, that September, I started at Sheffield Hangham University doing a master's in human resource management, um, to which I was level seven CIPD accredited when I finished um, that as well. So that was, uh, yeah, that was a, a really excellent course. Well, I guess, imagine, imagine if those electives had have been pottery. You could, you could now be uh, <laughs> pottery partner or... <laughs> Yeah, that's no, but it's like that, that is very, you know, so circumstantial, isn't it? If it had been yeah. marketing or economics or um, or something, your your career path could have could have been very different. It might not. You might have done two electives and gone, well, I don't like these either. And now I'm I've kind of tried two different things that I'm and yeah. it, you know, kind of more um, apprehension setting in as much as anything. Um, yeah, just so funny how things kind of turn out and. Yeah take you on a different path but that's so so you went and did your master's um how was how was that versus doing the law degree then um it was it was very different I think what I'd probably underestimated so I applied to join the master's course in the September whilst I was still finishing my final year um of, of working in Leeds at uh, working in Leeds studying studying in in yeah. Leeds and I was possibly I made some excellent friends on that that course doing my master's some really good people on there and and the majority of them that I think I underestimated already worked in HR okay. and I I was either the only one or, or one of very very few that actually had never worked in HR before and I don't think it's particularly that common for people to go and do that kind of qualification without having some HR experience. Is that because they were as you're going through the modules that kind of um example the practicals like the situations that you've been in you can kind of relate yeah. it over to um is extremely I guess, helpful in that yeah. Uh, yeah exactly that martin that's very much what it was and and at the time so i started so my first kind of real job if you like out of uni was working um at a, a solicitors at a law firm in sheffield um and i started there as a new client advisor um out of union and essentially because it worked really well at the time with my um uni i was doing my masters so i did my masters part time um and i used to go there i think it was a say like a thursday afternoon and so when i first started working at the solicitors it, the contract that they offered me worked perfectly to allow me to go and study so, so why, was, why didn't you so why didn't you get like a job in hr as your first job rather than because you decided law wasn't for you, but then you went and got a job in a solicitors, even though you were doing your masters. Yeah, so I am guessing I'll probably not be alone um, in in saying this, and I imagine a few people um, who listen to your podcast may have had similar experiences previously, or perhaps you know perhaps experiencing this now. But it's very hard to get a job in HR without any experience working in HR, yeah. um, and that's almost. Um, and I know that's not a kind of HR only um, issue, shall we say? But and you know, a lot of professions do have that kind of 
very chicken and egg, isn't it? Of you can't get the job until you've got the experience and but you can't get, you know, you can't get the experience anywhere until someone takes a chance on you. And the jobs I was applying for, kind of HR admin level jobs, um, I was getting rejected from for not having any HR experience. But I thought I, I want to work, you know, I I, I want to, to have a job and start working because I'd applied to do the master's part time, not full time. So I thought I'd like to work at the same time. And I thought, well, could I put my law degree to some to some use, um, you know, in, in some respect. And, and I got the job as initially I started out as a, a new client advisor, which again, I suppose fate or whatever you want to call it, actually in my HR career, having that initial experience in the world of work in legal has actually, I think, stood me in such a good stead for working in HR. Because my, you know, my initial roles coming out of university were, were in, in law. So I worked for a little bit of time as a new client advisor, which was just what? general legal advice. I was going to say, what's a new client advisor? So a new client advisor was, you're the first port of call, essentially, at this solicitors. So someone rings up with any manner of legal um, query, whether that be a, a family law issue, it could be a land dispute, it could be a housing problem that they're having, um, and you take the initial details. You might be in a position to give them some initial advice if, you know, if you're confident in that area, or you'd book them in to come and see a fully qualified solicitor, or you'd signpost them to Citizens Advice Bureau, for, for example. So you were just that very initial, um, whether it was a walk-in or telephone for, for a client, um, which then kind of spiralled for me then working there meant that I got um, a job then after working um, specifically in employment. So as an employment law advisor. Um, so my early kind of career was actually working as a, an employment law paralegal. Which, which is a great experience, a, given your vocation now. Um, yes. And it's so funny because at the time it didn't feel like it, which is crazy, really, because at the time all I could think was this is so frustrating. You know, I've kind of 360 in my career and I really want to work in HR and I can't get a job in HR and, and you know nobody wants me so I was kind of felt at the time that I was trudging along a little bit in in these jobs working in employment law whilst trying to balance doing my master's in HR management thinking these two things are just not meshing together everyone else on my course has got all this really good practical experience so when we're talking about um you know say one of the modules on on my master's was was redundancy for argument's sake you know, people were having these really rich, vibrant conversations because they'd, they'd been through that process, you know, in reality and work and they'd, they'd led on consultation meetings and they'd advised line managers. And I remember being sat there in the lecture hall thinking, I've got no idea what's going on here. You know, I've, I've never done this before and I don't know how this works. And I guess it's only looking back, I suppose, now with the beauty of hindsight of thinking, actually getting that really early employment law knowledge you know, understanding how the tribunal works, understanding how case law works, you know, all that kind of rich embedded employment law knowledge is so invaluable now. But it's funny because looking back at the time, I was thinking, this is such a waste. I can't believe I go and get a job in here. You know, everyone on my course knows so much more than me. But I am I am grateful now that it, that it worked out kind of in the timeline that it has done. Yeah. So going kind of just going back a little bit of a step then. So you as you graduated, um, did you actually try and apply for entry-level HR roles? Yeah, I did. So I remember um, applying for a couple of kind of HR assistant, HR admin um, type, you know, very entry-level roles in HR and um, got knocked back from every single one, even without an interview, um, you know, saying we're looking for someone with HR experience. Um, and, and there was a point, Martin, I'll, I'll be honest, I think, you know, I was kind of, I'd graduated, I'd got a law degree, I was working as a paralegal, I was self-funding a part-time master's in 
in HR management and a couple of nights I remember sat there thinking gosh I'm, I'm juggling all this and I'm, I'm gonna get this qualification and what if I just can't ever get a job in yeah. HR and, and I did have this awful feeling of you know what if I just never get any experience and and therefore I've got this qualification but it, it's not going to mean anything to me in practice because no one will take a chance on me because I've never worked in HR before and and you know it, it it's got- so tough it is I've, I've had this I've had this conversation with so many people yeah. at that level and I, I, I'm sure I spoke about this on the podcast before there was um you know there's a a few months ago, there was a, a young girl I had a, a conversation with. She approached me and said, I'm looking for my first HR job. And mm-hmm. she'd just done her uh, HR degree. So she'd just, you know, come out three years, graduated last summer. And a recruitment agency had told her, you will never get a job in HR because you haven't got any experience. And she was, you know, she was so demotivated by that. She's like, I've, I've just spent three years. I've spent a, a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. And now I've been told by a so-called expert you know, a careers expert or a, you know, recruitment expert that I will never get a job in the in the profession that I'm aspiring to get into. Yeah. And that just, you know, I, I, it'll probably stick with me forever, her story, because I, I just felt so sorry for her that, you know, she she told me how, um, how down and demotivated and it really, really knocked the wind out of her sails. Um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not bigging myself up here but I I kind of came out the exact opposite and said you will get a job and she was brilliant I said you will get a job it'll just take time you just yeah. got to keep going at it um and I'm really really pleased to say a couple of weeks ago she got in touch with me and um and she did she's got she's got a role um she beat 150 people and got the job um oh. I was so so happy for her but it is it's it's so difficult for people at that that entry level um and it isn't uncommon for people to have a wobble and, and have those those nights where they just think, why am I why am I doing all this? You know, it might never happen. I fully believe it will. You just got to you've got to stretch yourself. You've got to do something different. You've got to knock on a lot of doors. You can't you can't sit there at home waiting for it to happen. Um, yeah. You've got to be proactive and make it happen. Yeah. You know, the, someone's not going to turn up at your door and knocking you knock on it and say you know um would you like a, a, an entry-level hr role it's just not going to happen <laughs> and if you're just applying for jobs you're you're just throwing your your name in the mix um and and you could get the job but you're going to be one of multiple applicants you have to do other things and get a bit more creative and be a bit more kind of proactive with it all um but yeah it's it, it is so it saddens me really kind of on my side because it's such a common theme of of people who are in that kind of ha- um kind of void of, of saying well I've just come out of education yeah. but I can't get the job that I want to get and I'm just kind of stuck in no man's land um and they can't they can't see the future and yeah. all I can all I can do is give them kind of positivity and say it will happen it really will if you give it enough time and apply for enough roles and do the right things and stick with it but sometimes yeah when you when you're kind of stuck in the the mire of it all that the end kind of you can't see the horizon can you you can't but I think you make an excellent point of it it can be very demotivating and, and you've got to really keep psyching yourself up and you know believe in the bigger picture and you know you put in the hard work and it, it'll come back around but I think that you make a good point that you, you can't just sit and wait for it to happen to you 
you've got to go out and make it happen for yourself. And and I think there's a bit of it around, you know, if I mean, I, I know I was quite I don't know that luck is the word, but it, it felt it felt well for me that the kind of job that I did whilst I was waiting to kind of break into HR actually fit quite nicely because it was in it was an like employment almost wasn't it that it wasn't the yeah. exact thing but there was enough there that yeah. they could see you were you were kind of you were closer than you had been without any experience it wasn't direct HR experience but it was it was office experience it was dealing with confidential you know you pick up the transferable elements of it all and actually you then go ah I can see yes she's got something here and she's doing a master's and yeah. I generally think you know someone with a certainly a law degree you go well they've got the application there they'll understand the you know going through your kind of case files and um and building kind of em- employee um relations uh, cases together and yeah. I, I think you can kind of sometimes see that um but yeah I can understand that it, it would have helped there was something um, something I heard on another podcast um, recently that really, really resonated with me. And it was, um, I don't know, it, how many how many HR graduates would there be? I'd, let's say there's 10,000 HR graduates coming onto the market every year. That sounds a lot, doesn't it, 10,000? Let's say there's 2,000 HR graduates entering the, the UK workforce every June. Well, businesses across the UK don't create every June or July 2,000 entry-level HR roles. That isn't the way it works. Opportunities and vacancies come up on an ad hoc basis. They come up as business demands it. So you can't graduate and and just expect there to be a vacancy there ready waiting for you once you've graduated. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to compete. Um, but the way that you can ensure that you have as good a chance as possible is by doing those, going out, doing some volunteering work, going and getting some experience, um, temping, doing whatever it, it can be that you're building up your toolkit to make you as an attractive proposition as possible so that when that right job does come up, you've got the best application you could possibly have that you're submitting for that role. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there's, again, and this is not to kind of underestimate how hard that journey can be sometimes and that, you know, when you're always searching for that light at the end of the tunnel and there are days and weeks it just doesn't feel, you know, it just doesn't feel like it's, ever, you know, ever going to happen or the right job's um, never going to come up for you, but it will. And and I think that's that's the thought, you know, it's about having that positive affirmation that, you know, the right job will come up for me and, it, it you know, it will happen. But what 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 you kind of need to get in the mindset of when it does you, you need to be ready for it and you know you need to have be on the lookout for it and, and even things like signing up to recruitment agencies and, and dealing with recruitment agencies that you trust and, and building that network and that relationship you know putting yourself out there so that they've got your profile and, and they know a bit about who you are and what you're looking for so that when when a job lands on their desk you're the person that's in their mind of oh you know so and so would be absolutely perfect you know for this if you're just at home kind of I'll say being quite passive about it and you know every now and again you check a jobs board and and but then you get a bit deflated and you know that's kind of as far as you take it then yeah it's probably going to be quite difficult for you know for you to make that break and get what you need but if you are as you say you know temping networking speaking to people doing extracurricular even if it's kind of signing up to employment law webinars or update seminars or anything that you can be doing to constantly 
be developing yourself and your knowledge it it will never go to waste it, it's never going to be something that you think oh you know I really really regret speaking to that recruiter or I really regret attending that workshop it just doesn't happen does it you don't you don't think like that <laughs> no no that's a really good point even though it's just like free free sessions that you can attend webinars whatever it may be um because you can all you can add all that onto your cv um just to show you're doing whatever you can do to try and help your um your application and 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 building up your your kind of skills and your knowledge okay so so you're you're working as solicitors you're doing kind of employment law work you stood at the same time so how do we then go from all of this into that hallelujah moment of, of getting into HR um again I would say this probably leads into the, the networking point so I'm I'm working as a paralegal at this point in um employment law and discrimination we dealt with public and private matters um I really enjoyed the work so I was having probably another moment of do I want to do I want to be you know I was at this, at this time I think back now and you know my parents must have been sick of me because one day I'd be like I'm definitely doing this and I'd be like no I'm definitely doing this but I really enjoyed the work and you know we worked on a lot of legal aid cases and you really felt that you were helping people who otherwise wouldn't have had access to the help I worked in an excellent team at the solicitors and and you know I was enjoying it and I was thinking oh but um I I had a, an excellent friend who I did my uh, master's with, who I was doing master's with at that time. And, you know, everyone on the course kind of knew that I was in this unusual, I guess, position of not working in HR, but doing the master's and wanting to get into it. And, um, yeah, I, I really remember it really clear getting this text message from her saying um, at the time her sister was working in um, HR um, at, at the company that I eventually went and, and worked for. And she said, you know, she's looking for a HR admin um you know I, I don't know if you'd be interested in in taking you know an, an admin an admin position um but it could be a good step to going into HR and I think at the time I was thinking um you know do I want to kind of go and and, and do an administ- administrative role I was would it have been a salary drop as well so you've kind of you've was. now been working for a period of time in in the solicitors you're um you've kind of changed roles you've gone up a little bit was it then that ah well if I really do want to do that I'm going to have to sacrifice financially to then get into the career that I think I want to be in. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was that market. That's hard as well, isn't it? You know, yeah, you're now earning money. You've got you've got your university loan to be paid off. You've all, you know, a car, nice things. You suddenly, you know, you suddenly yeah. first time in your life earning decent money. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, do I now can I go back a couple of steps? Yeah, it was it, it was all it was all those things really. So it was the financial aspect. It was I guess I'd got to a point I was you know I was running my own cases, so I was running tribunal cases. I was you know advising my own clients. I had my own, own matter list, you know. So I was I was doing work that felt good. You know, I was in a position of responsibility. I was I was learning so much from my supervisors at the solicitors. Can um, I just do one thing? Of course you can. Had you progressed quickly in the solicitors as well then or were you going at kind of a standard pace there um yeah I guess I guess I guess so in in the sense of um I suppose over quite a short time frame I'd gone from you know kind of doing general new client advice and being the first part of contact to then specific as an employment law advisor so giving you know 
only kind of working on employment matters and then going to be an employment paralegal which is where you're running um you are running your own cases and you're liaising with the clients directly and you're you know assisting them with tribunal forms and and that kind of work and that was over probably just under a year I, I would say so that sounds pretty fast yeah is there a um is there just something about you here that's what I'm trying to kind of I'm not going to go all psychological because one I don't know what I'm talking about if I if I try and do but <laughs> I'm just trying to kind of get under it of thinking right you've had a fast track take your career but actually you had a kind of a, a mini legal career and you've yeah. already said that you went in as a new business advisor and then we're now talking about you being a kind of paralegal I'm thinking well hang on this sounds a couple of rungs up the ladder already um in a short space of time yeah I guess I probably just impatience probably a good word to describe me as well I think generally as a person I'm quite you know I'm I, if I want something and you know I've got my mindset on something I like to go out there and, and make it happen and I think I have I've always had that mindset in work where I think you know you you kind of want to be the best that you can be and you know you want to add value and and you want to kind of make a difference and and I think you know in, in a workspace um you just have to you just have to put your mind to what you want and and where you want to be and I think even though I think even and maybe this is useful advice for I guess people who who might be in a similar situation of you know wanting to get that break into HR and, and maybe you're doing a job at the minute that isn't where you want to be I still don't think operating at 50 percent is the right you know right mentality I could have I could have been a new client advisor and stayed quite happily as a new client advisor until until such a point that a break into HR happened for me and then I could have taken a year's worth of new client advisor experience which would have undoubtedly been been useful um but I think because I even though I knew that I don't think this would be my forever career I still applied myself to it 100 percent because I wanted to get as much out of it as I possibly could for such a time that I would then get into HR so I I joined a HR career having a, a year of quite varied legal experience but weighing more heavily on employment law experience which has actually now been better for me working in HR than a year of general legal advice would have had I hope I've explained that well but yeah I guess. In, in some ways it's almost counterintuitive it's almost saying well I've I've, I've graduated I've started a, a job but I'm doing my master's and really this is just going to tide me over until my master's but and, and like you say, a lot of people might then have gone, well, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to do this. It's going to be some income, um, pays the bills while I'm studying my, my master's part time. And that is almost to some degree, almost a logical way of looking at it. But what you've done is kind of go, well, I'm not just going to sit here and do this. I'm going to give it everything that I've got because that's who I am and that's the way I work. And And you've then started to climb the career ladder in a profession that you are well I don't know you you, you probably were weren't 100% sure on either way but you were then following a career and progressing in it in something that that you weren't studying extracurricularly for so you're yeah. kind of studying to pursue one career you but you're working and you're climbing that career ladder in another one in a but in a relatively short period of time um yeah, yeah I, I get it it's yeah it's 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 unique definitely um but it it probably says more about you than anything else and 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 that's the reason you're on the podcast it's to find out this you know what makes you tick and what can people learn from you that can help them in their own careers okay 
Yeah. So, so this HR admin role came up. You were thinking, right? Do I pursue it? Um, it will be a drop down in salary, but I'm guessing you ultimately then you you did decide, right? That I'm going to hundred percent. I'm all in. Chips on the table. All on that one. Off we go. Yeah, yeah, I did, and, and I think it was because it was through a friend, and it was her sister. Um, that you know was hiring for this position so I'd, I'd known them I knew the family you know knew they were just such lovely people so it felt there was a connection there already I think to the, to the role and, and even though it felt like a step down in some ways at that time compared to what I was doing I, I kind of had to have a bit of a word with myself because I thought you've been waiting for this you've been waiting for this in and, and that was the complaint at the time of I just can't get in I can't get any any HR job at any any level so I thought this is, you know, this is it. This is this is the end. So um, I'm going to ask you another. I'm going to ask you another question now. So really, really honestly, yeah, yeah. When you went into the HR admin role, did you think oh, I can do this with my eyes shut? Like I've I've just been working as a paralegal. Like, or was it a acceptance of I've got to cut my teeth. I've got to, you know, I've got to do the basics. I've got to do this, and that'll you know, it's a stepping stone role. Yes, it was definitely that. It was, uh, y- yes, you know, some of it, um, some of the actual, let's just say the administrative filing, scanning, processing, that kind of thing. Um, yes. That, you that know, wasn't I, I, challenging. Yeah, that wasn't challenging. But I think, I think what I was then exposed to is in a HR office, working for someone who had bags of experience in HR, really knowledgeable, you know, had so much to teach me. You are hearing these conversations all the time. So yes, I might have been in a corner, you know, doing some filing or doing some scanning or doing some processing of sick notes or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I was hearing all these conversations going on in the office. So, you know, my line manager giving advice to to a manager who walked in or on the phone to someone or people come in and query something or you're in HR team meetings hearing what the rest of the team are getting involved with. So I think while some of the tasks I thought, you know, I've I've kind of moved on from this from a my own kind of, I guess, career point of view or whatever you want to call it. I never, ever sat there and thought this is easy or I've made the wrong choice or, you know, I could do this with my eyes closed because every day was this really like immersive learning experience um, just because of what you what was happening around you all the time. Yeah. So there's no kind of petulance or thinking oh, I'm too good for this. It was more, um, you know, bide your time, do this and um and you'll start kind of moving forward so so how did that how did that kind of next role happen then and that, and how long were you working as an administrator before you moved up to an advisor not like months three months two or three oh, months right ago. oh god no wonder you <laughs> yes. me. You've, you've only just started <laughs> um yeah, no. People are yeah. going to be so envious. They're going to hate you. Listen to this. Had, Jeez, yeah. three months and she got the next role. Yeah, no, I know, and I, I do worry, and I would never want to come across like that. But I am, I am hesitant to call it luck, um, and I am hesitant to say, you know, it was just it all fell into place, and I kind of sat there, and it just happened to me, and you know, it, so, it happened right. to me. So. Than, with this role came up, so it was an internal role, a HR advisor. Yeah. Were you the only person interviewed, or did they interview other people? Um, I the yeah they essentially gave me the role. I think because at that point I'd um there wasn't. Let me just I just want to make sure I get um this right. I would hate any if 
I'm probably um, bigging up my own kind of profile here, but I'd hate anyone who I used to work with listening to this and thinking that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> I just think, oh, she's got that wrong. I, I, from what I can recall from the time, it was you know a few years ago now. There wasn't that position. Did that position exist? I can't really remember how it worked oh. out, but I remember at the time I'd been I'd been taking part in some HR advisor style activities. Um, so I'd been I'd been doing kind of supporting on you know meetings and more more the HR advisor activities than just pure admin work. So when yeah. when the role came about, I you know I was kind of give, offered the role. I think I would have yeah. gone through some kind of interview process. Right. But so it wasn't because this is the point I was getting to. Um, I don't. I'm not going to say I get annoyed because that's too strong a word. But when people dismiss something as luck, um, I I kind of challenge that um, because I think circumstances can the stars can align at times but you still have to show something something isn't just given to you on a plate um you know i'm i'm yet to see that that happen um in my in my kind of career to people I think I'm not going to say you make your own look because, like I say, sometimes it's, it's circumstances and the stars align and opportunities present themselves. It's right time, right place, all the rest of it. But you have to show that that capability, that drive. You have to be showing elements and factors for them to go, okay, right, we need this role. Molly's already doing elements of it she stepped so you've already stepped outside of the remit of what the job you should be doing so you're you're kind of knocking on the door so if they're seeing everything all the qualities in you that would make you the right person they might not need to go externally because you know we've we've got a talented individual right under our nose here and that's what I mean that's why I sometimes get a bit um dismissive of people kind of just just talking about it as as luck because I don't believe things happen to on a just a look basis. I think you have to you have to make that look happen at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree with that and I think sometimes I've probably got a bit annoyed when people have said to me, you know, and a few people have said, "Oh, you've been so lucky in your career so far," or, you know, "You must have been really really been lucky to have got, you know, X job that you got at that time." And and I used to probably think it as well and you know I do think there's a bit of right place right time you know I do think there is a, you know a bit of that naturally where things just seem to you know to fall into place and I and I recognize the privilege I've had I suppose of you know having access to being able to go and do a degree yeah. and, and you know there's a lot of factors into it that that come into play but it's exactly what what you've said you know at a time when a role is available it's not luck that you get it because if they didn't think you were the right person it would have gone out to advert and you know other people would have applied for it and the right candidate would have would have got it so I think I think sometimes we can we can fall into a self-doubting trap of thinking oh well I got that because it was luck and I got that promotion but that was just luck and and it it very very rarely is it's it's hard work and effort and willing and going the extra mile and and it's those things that make it not you know not just kind of random random luck yeah I've, I've seen it enough in my you know I I God, I took the long scenic route. I really did, um, and I think I the circumstances just didn't. To be honest, circumstances tended to go against me, and I, that's why I think I've taken the long route round. I look back and go, 
oh, why don't I just get a break there or a break there? Because I always kind of applied myself to the very, very best that I could, but there'd always be like a, a spanner had come into the works of, of everything I did. But then I've seen other people um, have careers. You know, I've, I've joined somewhere at a later stage and I've seen somebody younger and they're, they're doing really well. And, I, and I've kind of said to them, you know, you, you, you know, if I'd have had this opportunity that you've had, um, I would have thanked my lucky stars. But at the same time, they're doing really, really well because they've applied themselves. They've just had a great environment that has helped them succeed or do really, really well that maybe I didn't have earlier in my career. But they still apply themselves in the right way. And they'll be, you know, they will have peers who got who have exactly the same opportunity, but aren't achieving to the same level. And and I think that's what I mean. It's about you can you've got to have the conditions there that help you have this acceleration but it comes down to you fundamentally you know it's not it isn't just gifted to you the the opportunity has presented itself but at the same time you've seized it with both hands and you've made when that opportunity has presented itself you have been there doing everything that you can do to make sure that you're the one who gets that that chance yeah. We're labouring this point, aren't we? Jesus, but yeah. Yeah, but it, it, you think it's a useful point for, for anyone out there who's who is listening, who's been made to feel that way, because I definitely have and been been kind of dismissed with that, oh, you know, you just must have been really lucky. Um and and I think there's so much more I think there's so much more to it in that. And I think it's a dangerous for an individual, I think it's a dangerous trap to fall into saying, oh, I'm only where I am because because I was lucky. Um, not, so you know, let's, I've done this. Let's, done this and... let's get into this a little bit more then. So what what do you do? So in, the, in those kind of earlier, so Jesus, you've only been doing it for like a few years. So we're still <laughs> in the early stages for you. But, but what what were you doing that helped you being recognised? Um, I think it's probably, you know, a number of things, a combination of things, really. I think um, there's a a funny thing that I've heard a few people say sometimes about HR and and going for interviews for HR roles is, you know, this kind of taboo of, oh, you know, don't say you're going into HR because you like working with people. Um, you know that that won't that won't go down very well, and 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 this this kind of strange it misconception. Is, it is marmite phrase, it's a, isn't it? it? Really it's a really is. weird thing, and and I remember hearing it early on and thinking, I don't I don't really understand that, and I'm no clearer on that specific kind of you know hot tip that people give you about HR. Oh, don't say you're a people person. You know, don't say that's why you're going into it, because I find it the complete opposite of what is to be true in working in. HR or people or, or you know whatever your function calls themselves you have absolutely got to like people it's like going into finance and saying don't don't, don't tell me like numbers right yeah well it is but it's a thing it's a thing with HR interviews of don't say that you and for me if someone came in if someone if I interviewed someone for a role and they said I don't like people I really don't like working with people I like working in isolation by myself I would think this is not going to work, you know. This go, is not, go get a career being a coder. That's what you need to do. Yeah, and it's you have got to like people because you spend most of the time your entire day liaising with people, advising people, supporting people, coaching people, developing people. Yeah, there's there's the really you know not very nice side of of HR, which is kind of you know some of the ER and you know unfortunately if you're in a dismissal or a redundancy situation that emotionally you know that's really 
difficult and anyone I guess you do have to be very sensitive I think you need to be a people person to be able to handle those situations because you know it's always the ones HR practitioners get feel the most proud I think when they've done something like that and somebody comes up to the end of it and says I appreciate the way you handled that you know it is a horrible thing to have to do but you did it you delivered that message to us in the right tone you were sympathetic you were empathetic and I think you have to be um, emotionally intelligent to be able to do something like that which comes down to being a people person because you understand people you you can put yourself in their shoes you empathize you sympathize you do all of those things and if you weren't a people person if you were kind of very black and white you would almost kind of you know just stand deliver the message and say turn around and walk off without having that that empathy around it all so i yeah i agree with you and about that that step up into the senior role how different was the role of a of you being a senior advisor versus the HR advisor was 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 it different even um yeah I think it's I think it's quite different I think you're you're then kind of bordering on that territory of being more strategic rather than transactional um and I think where probably and as an advisor I'm, I'm not saying there's a there's not an element of, of strategic thinking because there absolutely is but I think you're very much kind of reactive you're responding line managers are coming in and flying questions at you you're supporting in kind of casework meetings and things like that and I think you're just kind of on the ground level dealing with what what comes in especially in a a business like manufacturing that is very fast-paced almost impossible really I always used to say you 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 can't come in in the morning and write yourself a nice to-do list and and tick everything off well you can yeah yeah you can but I always used to say to the girls who work for me don't beat yourself up over it because you absolutely can do that and you can come in and make yourself a list. But if you're the kind of person that thinks I have to get to the end of every day and have all my list ticked off, you're going to drive yourself crazy because it's just not, it's not going to work out like that for you. Um, You may as well literally go to do sit in a lot of meetings. (laughs) End of day. Done. See what happens. Because, you know, all these weird and wonderful things used to happen and, and we used to be really reactive and, and going and doing things. So yeah, it's it's difficult, I think, to have that kind of um strict action plan. But um but you try and, and and you're optimistic that you'll get there. Where with a senior role, I think you've got well, you've got line management of more junior members of the team, um, which is quite different as well. So you're kind of going from um doing doing the work to then kind of um I guess coaching and developing and supporting someone. Um, doing the work and and that was the bit that I really loved about it and making that transition I think from did you you find that an easy transition then because I think it's quite hard to to step up into having line management responsibility um yeah I definitely wouldn't say it was easy I think what and I think what can be quite difficult as well is when when you work um amongst you know a group of colleagues and you all report to one person and then one person in that group gets promoted and then they're the the more senior person the dynamic really changes then and and that can be quite um it can be quite difficult to manage I think because you're friends with people and you see these people nine hours a day five days a week you you spend more time with them inevitably than you do other people in your life the people that you work with and I think you have to be mindful of that changing dynamic then that yes you still want that good working relationship but you're also you know you're their line manager and you're doing their appraisals and you know it it does it does shift the dynamic and you have to be mindful of that um but I think what I 
really loved about it is having done my CIPD and, and having done my master's at this point, and then the team that were reporting into me were going through that process, starting the CIPD, doing doing the work. I felt like I had quite a lot to give. Um, yeah. And I, I think because, as we've talked about, I had a bit of an unusual journey through my CIPD, possibly not having the practical experience to apply to it. Um, I really wanted to make sure that the the team around me then that were going through it had that practical experience. So it was touching base with them regularly to say, right, okay, your module um, this month is on appeals. Let's just say for an example, you need to be part of an appeal. You need to sit in on an appeal. You need to take the minutes. You need to give some advice to a line manager because I knew how difficult it was trying to do casework um, and things for my course and exams and, and all the kind of academic side that comes with it. I found really difficult without having that practical experience. So I knew I wanted to give that back to the team that were then working from me when when it, you're in a kind of role reversal situation so yeah yeah it's not easy um and you become from someone who can come in every day and kind of do what we said and you make your own list and you think about what you need to do where when when you work in a more strategic level and especially as a line manager actually your first priority is the team are they comfortable do they know what they're doing is everyone happy today is everyone got an you know do they know what they're working on do they need my support do I need to actually block out a couple of hours this afternoon in case one of them needs a one-to-one or some support from me so it it changes the dynamic of your day at the very least I would say yeah can I ask how how do you learn that then because um I think you have to be quite um empathetic um emotionally aware um self-aware to to understand the needs of the team because you know you'll know this a lot of listeners will will know this as well not everybody has that um, kind of natural connection with the role of um, supervisor, leader, um, manager, you know, whatever guys it, it comes in. Um, and some people don't think about the needs of the team so much and just, oh, just get on with it. And, you know, just, there's an expectation of, well, just just do it. You know, you, I'm, I'm just here as the manager and get paid the manager's salary. But, oh, God, you need you need guidance from me oh how very dare you it's almost like that approach isn't it yeah um yeah no I, I yeah I don't disagree with you there and I think sometimes I think where, what I've seen as well is what what businesses can be quite guilty of is is um I don't know we'll use we'll use engineers as an, as just a general example and you have a team of engineers gonna say. <laughs> yeah and you pick you pick your best um technically skilled engineer so the one who's the best at fixing things and, and the best on the job and you promote them to supervisor um, and then all of a sudden they're in, they're doing something that's really different to what their day job used to be. And because they were the best technically, you expect them to be the best line manager. And sometimes that's the case. And that's great. Where other times there's a, there's a massive educational and training piece there that's missing of, yes, they're excellent technically. But what are we doing to help them to be a good manager? And, and, I, and I do think that happens a lot in businesses and that that really big chunk of the skills that you need to actually be an effective manager. Just we just presume that because they're very good at their job, they'll be very good at that as well and, yeah. and most of the time people are but you know people need that bit of help don't they um it is it is quite ridiculous really because it it is like you could talk to anybody and everybody will know that topic that we've just mentioned there mm-hmm. everybody will align with that and go yeah you know i've seen it or i've been it or whatever yet the trap still happens again and again and again where like you say we um the 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 standout performer or the most technically um competent you just go okay well you're the manager we'll actually go well actually 
there could be a hindrance on your ability to perform technically because now you're we're giving you you know your role is um, diluted where you're not doing as much technical stuff so actually the performance of the company could be hindered because that 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 person's technical qualities yeah. now aren't being utilized because you're giving them line management and people management responsibility where you know the the we should employ more of an approach of going okay who's actually got more managerial supervisory qualities that person's technically good let's just take them on a um, development plan enhancing their technical capability and rewarding them accordingly but not hindering them with line management responsibility and we we know it all exists all of us know it exists and we all nod our heads and agree and and chuckle and go oh yes yes I've seen that many many times Yeah. yeah but we don't really change it it's it is kind of baffling and ridiculous in equal measures isn't it but it, yeah. it still continues to exist in yeah. in con- yeah. uh, companies up and down the land and yeah. not even no. up and down the land across the globe <laughs> yeah. no, you are right and it, it is it's a funny one where everyone recognizes it but it's still a bit of a, a sticking point I think for a lot of companies I mean for me and what I would definitely say I think I think sometimes managing people is is I think it's a lot about your personality as a person generally and, and I think if your ethos is someone who you know you you treat other people in the way you want to be treated I think that very much applies to being a line manager and and f- for me switching that dynamic um from kind of being in a role where you didn't have line management responsibilities to all of a sudden you know you have this team around you I just I just kept bringing it back to how would you want to be managed what would you think is fair and unfair and I think if you really strip it back and sit and think about it and and I also think you learn from how you've been managed as well don't you and I think there's there's examples I'm sure we all have of times where your line manager said or done or you know there's been an occasion and I've sat there and thought I would never do that to someone I would never speak to someone in that way I would never ask someone to do a task in that manner or you know plenty of examples I'm sure sure lots of people have individually about you know, line managers that they have worked for. And I think they're all kind of things that you have to keep in you in in your mind and think, well, I'd never want to do that or be, have that kind of style or be that kind of person. So you learn from experience. But I think when you're managing someone, you've always got to flip it and think, how would I want to be asked to do this? How would I want to be treated? How would I want my PDR conversation to go? Um, and, and you can kind of keep yourself on track, I think, by by just a bit of self-reflection sometimes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's just it's interesting to kind of um, you know never assume and kind of oh I always like to kind of ask um, kind of guests or or people like yourself um, how because um, there'll always be a slight kind of difference to it. Um, but I agree with you. It's you know you 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 pick up what you liked from the way that you've been managed and you distance yourself from the things that you didn't like, um, and then you you create you and in, in your style um, almost. Okay. So, so you were with, with kind of Green Corps in the senior role or senior advisor role for for a couple more years. Um, how come you then moved on? Well, how how do we then take this next step in your career? Um, I think for me, I'd, when I look back on Green Corps, it's very fondly, and and I had so much experience there and and worked with such an excellent team. Um, and the latter part of my time at Green Corps was being seconded into a, a project role. Okay. Um, and I led on a project where, unfortunately, we um, we had three factories on site and um, one of the factories was actually closing down <clears throat> and we were moving and transferring the product somewhere else in the group. Um, but with that came, unfortunately, a large number of redundancies of existing staff up to about 250 um, people, unfortunately, were made redundant from that site. 
so we found out about the site closing um, and I was seconded into this project lead role to essentially manage that process really of kind of the full life cycle I suppose of initial communications working through the consultation meetings liaising with the union the trade union representative who worked on site um, supporting and preparing the managers to have the consultation meetings the scoring matrices so that kind of whole process of what you'd go through in a, in a, a re redundancy situation essentially um, so I worked on that so I was completely out of the day-to-day -day of you know of the site and, and the generalist HR working for about probably about eight or nine months now when I think back um, it was just that everyday solid we were doing consultations across day shift afternoon shift night shift weekend shift um, and it was just this really, really hectic time period of. I was going to say, um, it's draining that, isn't it? Emotionally and. Emotionally draining. Kind of mentally. Um, I'd never done anything like it before. So for me personally, it was a massive learning curve of leading a project, planning a project. You know, I was doing a lot of work with the finance and the payroll teams about tracking the costs. And th there were so many kind of avenues to it. And I learned so much in a short space of time. So you you're personally in a bit of an overload and then you, you're dealing with these people who are obviously in, in this awful situation of finding out that they're at risk of losing their job and you're carrying that emotional burden and, and trying to support them in the best way they can and we organised we had um like groups from the DWP coming in and doing workshops CV skill writing that we organised so there were so many kind of avenues yeah. to it happening all the time um and I guess for me it was such a it was such a, a big project uh, you know a massive part of the site had closed We'd lost, um, you know, some some a lot of you know a lot of people, a lot of really good people from the site. The site felt quite different, and I I got to a point, I guess, at the end of that, of thinking, I've been involved in this massive, really meaty piece of work. Personally, this sounds awful, and I hope this doesn't come across the, the wrong way. I'd gained a lot from it in terms of experience. I know it was a huge loss for a lot of other people, but from an experience and a kind of career point of view, and I just didn't feel that going back into my kind of day to day at Greencore on this site that now that was, you know, much less in terms of a headcount because of who's in the factory would be enough. Um, and I kind yeah. of finished the project and I thought, kind of felt a bit now or never of I'll, yeah. I'll my old role and I'll carry on and it'll be the same. Or do you use this as a bit of a push to think, right, what what's next for me now and and, and kind of take that next step, I guess. Yeah, it, it sounds as though it kind of almost naturally comes to that that kind of point of, of the next role, doesn't it? You've, when you've, I think, when you're on the upward um, trajectory within your career and then you've been involved in a big project like that, to then step back into uh, a role that maybe doesn't have as much um, pressure, impact, um, complexity to it and is a bit more of kind of the day-to-day, -day, sometimes you always just think, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking for that big project role again, but I think I've just kind of come to the end of my time here now and and rather than going to go back to that kind of more sedatory type of role, actually, I think it's just it's natural closure and, and it's time for me to move on um, yep. as well. So that 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 completely makes sense. Um, so you've so you you kind of you know the whole purpose of bringing you on is is this kind of fast track. There's a food van, and it comes at half past ten and half past eleven. Can you can you hear it? No. Mega loud. I can't hear it at all. Really? Yeah, oh, honestly, I promise I literally can't hear anything. I bought specifically, I bought, um, that wasn't because of this. I bought this because we're in an open plan office now. And I thought, right, I bought headsets where the microphones um, eliminate the noise. Oh. Um, but since we've moved in here, 
me and Jordan keep joking about it, like how annoying this food van is because it, it literally like we're on the first floor it's not on the ground floor but it, co- it must come and do a u-turn outside of our window oh. and it plays this caribbean cricket song um <laughs> so loud and we're just like oh just tone like obviously yeah. not everyone's recording stuff in all of the offices but we are and it's really important to us oh, um so yeah God. i just i heard it coming i was like Oh no, I can't have that going on in the background. But if you can't hear it, I'd have been none the wiser. I'll, what I'm going to do is listen back because I don't need, you know, if I don't need to keep stopping people because they can't hear it, absolutely fine. But if it picks up on the audio, then yeah. I know in future I'm going to have to stop it. Um, yeah. what, what, I can't remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah, you said something about being a fast track, and then the van. I'll go back in. Um, yeah. So the purpose of of kind of bringing you on is um, you're someone who's on that kind of. Um, fast track upward trajectory in a very you know relatively short space of time so where do you go next so you've gone you've gone senior HR advisor then into this kind of really big project role um what's your next move from here and and I'm kind of I'm, I'm just I'm thinking in my head if I you know if I came if you contacted me as a recruiter and gave me your CV and I saw all this I think I'd be in mixed minds as a as a kind of um, as an independent reviewer of your profile of going one Jesus she's moved pretty fast but I have to go really into the granular information of that and and a lot of people would just look at the job titles um, and make an assumption around that and I'm always thinking it then from your head is it a hard sell to to go into the next role up again when we're in a short time frame. So, so what was the role? I guess I'm, I'm, I'm dumping everything that's going through in my head verbally. Um, so I guess what was the role that you went into? And, and was it an easy transition for you as you were leaving Greencore to go into the next step up again um, as you were applying for jobs? Um, yeah, I would I would say so. I would say what was different um, probably for me is I went to a company called um, New Cold, which is a frozen storage and logistics company. Um into a HR manager role and I, I guess what I found different there is um loved the role obviously it was a you were the most senior HR person on that site so it was you know a position of really kind of um really high responsibility and, and you had a lot of autonomy um I guess what I would say is going from a, a company like Green Course or a big PLC and every every site's got a HR team and then you're interlinked with other sites and their HR team and you're part of this much wider community um, a standalone role can be very lonely I found um, quite isolating you there's there's you know and, and we, we talk about it here at Countryside really because we've got our kind of generalist HR day-to-day team we've got a recruitment team we've got a people development team we've got fleet and facilities we've got all these networks of the people team so you never ever ever feel like you're on your own and you never feel that there's no one to turn to and there's always someone to pick their brains or have a bit of a rant or you know whatever you need <laughs> there's always someone there for it where, where when it's just you and, and you're standalone and, and you're the HR manager and you're having battles with other departments and you know there's there's things going on as part of the day-to-day it is just you and and you haven't got that person to kind of go and put the kettle on with and and have that chat that I was used to so I did find that quite different but the the career progression perspective I suppose has felt quite quite natural um, and moving up and taking on more responsibility and continuing in the line management journey and to where I am now at Countryside as a in a regional people partner role and, and taking on more it's 
it's just felt like quite a natural journey for me. I was going to say, you, you do come across as though it, it, you take it all in your stride and almost as though it, it doesn't phase you. Um, does Do these steps phase you? Um, not really. I mean, and I don't want that to come across as like, oh, everything's just been a breeze and you just walk through it because it's, it's definitely not that. And it's a lot of hard work. And, you know, you obviously really- believe in yourself that, you you know, you can do all this. Like you say, yeah. you keep apologising. I understand completely why you keep apologising for it because you don't want to, you know, come across to an audience as, as kind of being big-headed or, or whatever, you know, phrase people might want to use. And, and um, yeah, this is an audio um, kind of podcast and people can't see your face and reactions, whereas yeah. I have that um, luxury of being able to do that. So, you know, I, I completely believe that you are quite humble and modest in, in many ways. But you obviously have a very strong self-belief um, for you to, to not be phased by these steps. And you're obviously quite ambitious at the same time um, for it to happen. So, so I don't don't apologise, but I'm very interested in kind of getting under the, the kind of the makeup of you, because that's I think that's what people are interested in. It's, you know, looking for those qualities in themselves. Yes, it's about, to some degree, you know, this isn't a technical HR podcast. This isn't about how to do... A disp- a dis- I can't even say the word, that's why we're not doing it, um, <laughs> a disciplinary, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is about understanding people's careers, what they've learned along the way, the stories that they um, can share, this provide insights to others. And and for me, as the, the kind of person who kind of came up with the concept of this and, and the host of it, for me, to some degree, it's about that psyche of the person and, and letting the audience understand you know what type of mental attributes you sometimes need to be successful and if you're I, I, I we've mentioned it kind of not so long ago but if you're self-aware you I know what I'm good at and I know what I am not good at and I would always go into um, my performance management meetings or PDPs whatever and I would always tell the my manager what I am not good at before they could even get to it because I um, I'm just a self-aware individual. I know I know what my strengths are, I know what my weaknesses are, and I know how to kind of self-manage myself within all that. I am I am very much an island in terms of the way I operate. I always have been, um, and that's my own psyche. That's the way I operate. And I'm kind of just interested then, as as you and you know who you are, Molly, the person, but how you've applied yourself. Um, do you just have that self-belief and that confidence? but combine it with a strong work ethic. Um, but you don't let these things phase you. And actually, you you personally just see this as, well, that is my next transition. You know, why why shouldn't it be? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think there's there's got to be a self-belief. I think if you don't believe in yourself, then that's not going to come across, you know, when, you, when you're sitting down for an interview for your next role or you're talking to your line manager about your next role, if, if you're not, if you're not confident in yourself and your beliefs, then they're probably going to be hard pressed to be as well. So yeah, I think you've got to believe in yourself. I think absolutely self-awareness. I think you just touched on the feedback part. And I think that's a very personal individual journey that we go on kind of growth as a person. And I think you've got to be open to feedback. And I think it's quite hard early on in your career 
it's really difficult to take any kind of constructive criticism and and you you take everything really personally and everything's kind of a dig on you you've absolutely got to be open to that feedback and you've got to want that feedback and you've got to be sat with the person who's either line managing you or mentoring you and you've got to say please can I have some feedback can I have some feedback on how that week meeting went can I have some feedback on that piece of work and you've got to be open to that and you can't be petulant then about that when you get the feedback and think well you know what do they know or did it you've got to really take that on the chin and, and you've got to want to improve and and I look back at times where I've had feedback yeah probably in that moment when you're in that chair across from someone you've you you know you're tutting silently or you're not really taking it on board but you've got to give yourself a bit of a shake and you've got to walk out of that room and think right that's the feedback what can I do you know you, you own your career you own your journey you own how you interact with people so it's right okay I need to go away then and work on x or think about y or talk to someone about z or you know is there a course I can book myself onto is there a book I can go and read you can't wait you can't wait for things to land on you and, and we talked about that I think a bit earlier on in the podcast about you know you you put it really well yourself about this this perfect job is not just going to land on your doorstep or in your inbox one day you've got to go out and make that happen and network and make connections so you've you've got to want to be better and you've got to want to carry on and, and kind of be on that journey um I think specifically for HR I think for me it is about again something we've touched on it, it is about working with people it's about understanding people it's about being a people person and I will die on that hill because I really think it is and it's about being able to work with people and speak to people and influence people your, your whole job is about is about people literally is what it says on the tin and I think there's a there's a big part of that of understanding where you can add your value and how you can work with people and how you can influence people um and I think a lot of it is around the business you work in I, I think with HR and because you are looking at value add and supporting people and working with people you have got to this is probably going to sound really corny and I don't want it to but you have got to be true to yourself I think in the business that you go and work in HR for and you've got to align with that business you've got to agree with their business strategy with their values with their morals with how they operate um and and you've got to really be a part of that and you've got to understand the business and I think you're only as effective in HR sometimes as how much you really do understand the business and how it works because you can't push your agenda separate to how the business is operating and there's no good just trying to think you know give a really generic example so for us here when it gets to year end which is the absolute busiest time of the year and you know all the other departments are, are trying to get houses over the line get customers moved in it's a really really kind of high pressure time for me to walk in and say we're doing this big HR piece of work and we're launching it it's not going to sit it's not going to land yeah. and everyone right everyone just... I need um, 10 minutes of all your time we've got an engagement <laughs> survey that um, is you have to fill it in and if you don't yeah. fill it in like yeah. no nah, not on this planet and and they're switched off because they think well do, do they get it do they know what we're doing here or do they know what we're doing and that's a really generic example but I think day in day out you've got to be so in tune with what's happening in the business and understand it and and I think I guess to just go back to what we talked about about doing the, the project work at, at Greencore and the, the big redundancy piece I really understood that business and I really understood the managers and I understood the people and I understood that factory and the different areas and, and you have to kind of have that knowledge of the business and how it operates and what are other people's priorities and how can I make sure what I'm doing really aligns to that and works with that so I think that would be one really big kind of tip or point I would give to someone in HR is it 
HR's HR and I think there is there is a bit of that and I think the legislation doesn't change from business to business broadly unless you're working in something really niche and you know policies and procedures normally much of a muchness but but where you go and implement that and operate as a HR professional I think really matters and if it's in a if it's in a company that doesn't align with you as a person or you don't agree with a lot of its values and its morals and how it operates I think you will really struggle to gel and embed and add value I think you've you've both absolutely got to be aligned with each other completely. Cool do you know what I think that kind of brings us to a nice close Um, I mean we're kind of we're not you were at Newcall I'm guessing the reason that you left was because of that it was a standalone role and it just it wasn't for you and you wanted to get back into a team um, a, a bit of that, but um, I guess, and this is a whole, whole other conversation. Um, I, myself, my boyfriend actually went and lived in China for a little bit, which is totally oh, random. Right. Okay. Not part of this at all, but um, yeah, he. Um, which probably is another thing that might, um, if I've got time, just to quickly say. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was offered the opportunity to go and um, work, do some work out in China for the business that he was working for and, and we ummed and aahed and, and it just felt like at the time in our lives it, you know an opportunity that he couldn't um he kind of couldn't not not take up and I thought well you know I, I want to go with you and, and we'll make it work kind of thing um so we spent some time over there but I was really 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 nervous about going because I was thinking what happens when we get back this is me kind of catastrophizing what happens when we get back and I can't get a job somewhere else and I'm on this kind of career trajectory and and what if that's it and I can't get back into HR and it just goes to show that sometimes worrying about things in the future is completely pointless. I was going to say, like, why are you even worried about this? Like, because that's what you do, don't you? You think worst case scenario, and I was like, oh, you know, Sam, what if we get back, and what if I can't get a job somewhere, and you know, what you just think worst case scenario. I do sometimes. I feel and- very sorry for Sam because you sound like my wife. <laughs> I would literally go and look at your career why would you not get a job but my wife would be like you and say well you know there's all these things I might not get a job like you are worrying about something you don't need and that's that's the kind of you know this is not really HR related at all but I suppose as a kind of bonus piece of advice would be to go and do the thing do the thing that you want to do if that's you know a bit of time out or an opportunity like this that this was at that time it was just a really good opportunity for us both and I'm so glad that we went and we took it and we came back and I got my job at Countryside, which I absolutely love and, and everything really fell into place um, for me in terms of that job being available when, when I came back. But it's again, it's it's kind of to reflect what we were just saying on. It's believing yourself. You know, you've you've worked really hard. You've got the qualifications. You've got some experience under your belt. You can go and have a few months doing something else and you will come back and you will get another job and everything will be fine. So, um, yeah, a bit of an unusual reason why I left New Code and, and we did go and live in China uh. for but yeah <laughs> Fair enough. you've made me remember something because I was just thinking it, I, I sometimes kind of um, dip into kind of my career um, when I talk about the podcast and, um, and I haven't really ever kind of I've certainly not spoke about this on the podcast uh, but you've just reminded me whenever somebody mentions China um, in my role um, I uh, my HRBP role I had to go out to China quite um, a few times um, and I'm not going to go into the full story um, because this isn't about me. This is about the guest. Um, but I actually got held hostage um, while we were out there. We were closing a factory down and moving to an outsource model. 
and um yeah if anybody ever wants to interview me as a guest on my own podcast um <laughs> i can share all of this stuff um but yeah I'm we i'm intrigued to hear this stuff. yeah we it was a really good case study of um of how um cultural differences we went in with a very um kind of uk mentality of um going into a bit like you had to do a, a, a site closure um but culturally in china uh, was very different to um, the way we were, we would have gone about it, kind of in the UK, and and it backfired. Um, and yeah, we, there was, like I say, I'm not going to go into it. It's a, it's a good kind of 10, 15 minute story in itself. Um, but yeah, I got um, I got barricaded in a room with 25 Chinese, a very small kind of room with 25 Chinese men who couldn't speak English, and I couldn't speak. I can't remember if it was Cantonese or Mandarin, uh, but banging on the table, shouting at me. Um, and yeah, after about an hour, the police turned up and when the police turned up, that's when they locked the door. Um, and I, was, I really got, got scared and thought, oh my God, this has just got worse than it even was. Um, but yeah, that's a, a story for another day, but yeah, there's, um, the fun of, the fun of HR and, um, stuff that you didn't even think was going to happen. Get a job in HR, everyone. Yeah, get a job in HR. I, I never even set out to go into HR. Um, yeah, I just ended up in HR and ended up in China and ended up in a very small room with a lot of angry Chinese men. Um, big thumbs up for your HR career there. And then people wonder, well, why did he leave HR and get back into recruitment? But yeah, <laughs> that's, that is actually a completely different story. But yeah, it don't, when people mention China, I always go, ah. Oh, like I didn't never want to go back to China ever. <laughs> yeah, but um, look, I'm not even going to finish the kind of with the question of, um, you know, what advice would you give to you, uh, the young you? Because I think we've kind of just covered it kind of in the last the last few moments there anyway. Um, but Molly, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on, um, sharing your story. Um, you know, as somebody who has now got to kind of know you well, um, both as a, as a person um, and, and as a kind of client as well, and you know we've worked together, um, I can see your career only going in one direction, and you know I look forward to to kind of watching you continue to climb the ranks over the, over the next few years, and you know maybe maybe if this podcast is going in in kind of a few years time still, uh, maybe you'll come on as a as a head of a HR director and talk about you know kind of phase phase two of your journey um but it's been a pleasure having you on sharing that if people want to just connect with you on linkedin and, um and ask you questions and follow up are they okay to do so yeah of course absolutely yeah that would that would be it would be actually lovely to hear from people and and if i can help anyone with any questions or advice or anything and and give back in the way that i've had it in my career so far then yeah i would absolutely love to do that Brilliant. I would actually say to that as well. Um, sometimes I do get um, little bits of feedback about the podcast, and I know sometimes listeners do engage with um, with the guests direct. and And do you know what? It absolutely makes my day when when I go in my my LinkedIn inbox or I get an email, and there's a really really nice piece of feedback. And sometimes it's just about the podcast, or sometimes it's actually about a guest. And I often then kind of um, do a screenshot and then send that feedback on to the guest as well, because I, I just think it's you know. When you're talking, you and I are just having a conversation here and it goes out into the ether and you kind of don't know if it strikes a chord with somebody. Those little messages from someone just say, that really inspired me or that really helped me or something. Um, you know, it's nice for me, but I think it's really nice for for people like yourself to to hear that or for listeners to follow up with you direct and just um 
you know provide some feedback or ask you a question because that is what this is about it's about bringing these insights and, and creating a community and um and giving people the opportunity to talk to others as a kind of almost like a pseudo mentor type um kind of situation so you know it's nice of you to say you'd love it because I, we really would encourage any listeners to you know either to to engage with molly or or any of the other listeners um you know it, it is a very kind of open um dialogue that we're trying to kind of create here so um so yeah do do definitely do that but molly thank you so much um yeah enjoy the rest of your day thank you martin it's been a pleasure right you can turn us off is that it yeah that was definitely longer than 15 minutes definitely oh it wasn't it is that bad no not well i just think you know it's i'm just conscious of kind of as a listener if you were going to listen to a podcast um you know an hour is kind of chunky enough, but I guess people, you know, I, I certainly do. I dip in and out of the podcast, um, maybe in the car, get 15 minutes, walking the dog. Um, yeah. You can see the dog, actually. There you go. Oh. He's, uh, <laughs> you don't by her. Oh, I so, yeah. outside because I thought this will be sod's law. We'll be doing it today and he'll come running in. And something will happen. Oh, we'll we'll just have an hour outside. <laughs> put him outside in the hallway. He's already peed on the carpet a couple of times. Oh dear. Pete yeah. right outside the business centre manager's office yesterday, didn't you? What's his name? Gatsby. Oh, so cute. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I just want the schools. Oh, what good school that you can take him to the new office? Good and bad. Yeah, generally, generally he's been pretty well behaved. Jordan's got a, um, a is it an American American bulldog? And I keep saying he should okay. he should bring her because they're the polar opposite. Gatsby is a, a live wire. Um, and uh, his his dog's called Dobby, uh, and apparently she's just a lazy sod who just um, he, he, like drag her out to try and take her for a walk. <laughs> uh, so we'd have like um, I think Gatsby would be pestering her, but keep telling him. So yeah, it's it's good in many ways. He likes the attention, but um, yeah, he he can bark on a couple of occasions, which isn't ideal, but. Life isn't it working working this new working world i suppose it's uh... yeah and it's you know for me it was a big thing about this office that i could bring him in and there's yeah. quite a few dogs um kind of in here um so it's yeah it's it's a nice benefit to be able to do yeah yeah, oh, yeah. good. and he likes um he likes being on camera a little bit he likes yeah. the attention oh he's actually looking really into the camera as well is he because <laughs> yeah. it's so small i can't i can't really see just kind of really casual like yeah i'm here i'm on screen <laughs> He'll have his own dog, dog cast. Oh, how cute. Yeah. Oh. Do you so, think that was well, all right then? Did that sound okay? Oh, no, trust me, the whole thing was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. There's, you know, you, I, I don't want to blow smoke at your ass, but um, you are, you're a high achiever. That's the category you fall into. And that, that's why I wanted to get you on. And it was, as I was trying to say, the purpose of this is getting into the, the hows and the whys of, you know, how has someone like you gone on that fast track route that you have? Because you're in the minority, you're not the majority. Um, but people can then learn from, um, you know, it's like listening to, there's a um, TV presenter called Jake Humphreys who does a high performance podcast where he brings people from um, sports people, business leaders, um politicians anybody who you know is a success at doing what they do and he gets under the skin of you know who they are and how they operate um and and they are the high achievers and and i I, you know put you into that category so it's about the what makes you different 
two other people. Um, yeah. You remind me quite a lot of um, a lady called Katie Conan, who who was on um, kind of another podcast, um, and she's just landed um, a head of role. Um, mm. The think when did she start it? Basically, it was like on a thirtieth birthday. Um, right. she, she, it's, a, it's been an external move, but you know, the age of thirty to get a head of HR role is is phenomenal um but she's in the same category as you and and that's where I kind of said at the end you know I will look forward to kind of watching someone like yourself and and watching your career progress over the next um the next kind of five years and and get to you know the more senior level again that's quite an exciting thought as well actually because what am I four years off 30 so to think in four years what what I could could maybe be or I'm talking to you again and we're doing something different that feels quite it feels like four years sounds like a long time, but I suppose it's not really in the grand scheme of things, is it? And to think what you could be doing, yeah, by the time you're thirty, I suppose, which is quite nice. Yeah, you should, you should, um, you should connect with her actually, um, oh, because Katie, I sorry, Katie, Katie, K A T Y, so Katie yeah. with a Y, um, Conan, which is C O N N O N. Yeah. Um, but she, yeah, she, I always, I always think, um, again, because you know, I. Um, I'm, I've got a privilege in my role of, of being able to kind of join the dots around people. And I'll often um, say to someone like, oh, there's someone who's got a similar um, profile to you on a similar journey. Um, and sometimes, you know, whether you want to follow up in it or not. Um, but I just think sometimes it's nice just to mention it because, um, you know, you can, again, create a bit of a kind of mini cohort on, you know, people in your shoes. Um, and it's it's just network again, isn't it? That's That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, thank you yeah no I'll, I'll just mention to her um, that we've done a recording and um, I'll say the same to her that it'd be good for her to connect with you because you're kind of yeah. four years behind where she's at now but yeah. you've been on that, yeah. that same sort of journey um, and she's, she's lovely she she definitely you know if you wanted to have a conversation or anything or, or just a couple of messages on LinkedIn she'd, she'd definitely be, oh, um, be up for that she's a, she's a good egg yeah oh good Good. Shall I do the same with this recording? Send it you on. We transfer perfect. again. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It worked last time. I double checked it as well, and it did upload. Um, I was nervous that because it's a video and not an audio file, um, yeah. whether it and it worked fine. So okay. perfect. Yeah. But look, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, in two parts. <laughs> I know. I know the first one. Um, I don't think but it doesn't sound too different on the um, recording. Hopefully, it'll go quite well. I, don't think so. I did. It did make me chuckle though, because I thought if I do ever use the video element of it, I'm gonna have to put like a, a, like a screen in there to say uh, this was done over two parts. This is why we both look different, <laughs> and the backgrounds are completely different as well. Um, but I don't. I, I think I will one day do the video. Um, but it, it's. I'm trying to get a LinkedIn live, or the goal will be to get a LinkedIn live license and start to try and take some of this yeah. concept onto LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Um, but that's it's, it's kind of much further down the line, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I keep saying to Jordan, we need to grow as a as a team here, so I can work yeah. on the business, not in the business as much, yeah. and, and do that sort of thing. And, and we're just not there yet. Um, but to get the LinkedIn live license, you have to show a reach and a um, like you've got to show a track record of doing videos and, and doing podcasts and audiences and stuff like that. Um, cause they won't just give them to anybody. Um, mm. so I will do it at some point, but it's, it's not on the priority list right now. No problem. Yeah. I'll send this over to you then. That's fine. Cool. Well, look, is uh, thank you again for giving up all your time and, and, you know, 
away from being a client it's been great to to learn about you and your um your story as well so thank you i've enjoyed it thanks very much all right take care bye bye and there we have it another show done thank you for listening if you do enjoy the show please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast whether it's itunes spotify google um also why not tell a friend as well get them involved share the wealth around um feedback is greatly appreciated as well you can um reach me on linkedin any feedback is really really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and i can tailor it to make sure that i'm asking the questions that that you guys think are relevant but thanks again and see you next week This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specialising in the HR and marketing professions. I have been an internal recruitment manager and a HR manager using the services of agencies. Some good, mostly poor. I have also been a job seeker who has been on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I have applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously drive those standards higher. This has come by offering a market-leading six-month 100% rebate, the innovation of a 3D CV concept that provides a video summary as well as the traditional CV for each candidate, and we place the focus on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, Get in touch and let's see how we can help you.